Okay, uh, today's scripture is 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. However, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as far for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thanks, Lauren. Hey, hope you guys are having a good uh, start to your year still. Uh, a lot of exciting things happening in the life of the church in addition to what Lauren just highlighted for a series in the Gospel of John. Excited to get into that with you. And then next week, we're holding what we're calling Vision Sunday. So we're going to be talking a little bit about where we sense the Lord is leading us as a church and how you can be a part of that. So if you can be here for next Sunday, try, try to make it if you can. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. But what I thought we could do today is consider a topic that is so important and perhaps so straightforward it is really easy to neglect. Today I want to focus in on the topic of the importance of getting into God's Word and how to do it. You know, at the turn of this year, something that could be very valuable to all of us, no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, it's to understand the importance of God's Word and, and how to get into it. So if you're here today and you're checking out the claims of Christianity, you don't identify as a Christian, it's worth your time to get into God's Word, or, or what's known as, what we, what we say is the Bible and the, the Scriptures. Uh, I was reading a, I was looking for a book two weeks ago to start reading, and I came across a curated list on Goodreads called Books You've Got to Read Before You Die. I was like, all right, I'm going to check those out. And I found my book. I'm reading Moby Dick right now, okay. Um, but on that list, this non-religious secular list of books you've got to read before you die, was the Bible. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, if nothing else just to understand how much of Western thought and values is, is influenced by, by the Bible and such. But, but all the more, it's important to understand its claims and the things we as a church can testify as the wonderful truths of the Scripture and all its, all its wisdom. Uh, but for those of you who are, who are followers of Christ, uh, it's, it's helpful for you, of course, to get into God's Word. So there's many of you here who have made recent decisions to follow Jesus, and we, we thank God for you. So it's exciting. And uh, it goes without being said that it's important for you to know the importance of getting into the Scripture and how to do that. The Scriptures are a, the way for you to put down roots and to grow in your faith. And that's also true for those of you who have been following Jesus for a good length of time as well. It's worth keeping in mind as we look at this text today that it was the Apostle Paul writing to a pastor about the importance of getting into God's Word and how to do it. Uh, he was writing to not just a pastor, but a pastor who had been in the scriptures himself since his, quote, infancy. It's important to understand why we need to get into God's word and how to do it. So what we're going to do is do a little bit of a survey today because this text is so rich. 
in this regard. We can't get to all of it, at least with a deep dive. If you're the note-taking type, you can pull out your phone and do that or maybe even find a little connection card that you aren't turning in to, to take notes that way. But we're going to look at two things today, why you need God's Word and how to get into it. The turn of this year, we're going to look at why it's so important to get into God's Word and, and how to do that. But first, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Word, for the Bible, for the Scriptures. There, it's something we can so easily take for granted, uh, especially with how easily accessible it is to our time and generation. But Father, would you help us individually and would you help us as a church be a people of your word? And I pray that that's not just true for us on Sunday mornings as we gather and worship you corporately looking at your word, but also in our, our daily and weekly lives. We want you to guide us, you to lead us, you to shape us, you to mold us. But we need your help in all these things. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So first header, why you need God's word. The context for this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy, is that Paul was feeling that he had the sense that he was getting ready to be killed. He was getting ready to be executed. And in fact, history leads us to believe that that actually happened within a few weeks' time of writing this letter. 2 Timothy is almost certainly the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, he was in his second imprisonment. So real quickly, what Paul was all about is he went across the northern Mediterranean world starting churches. And as he did that, he ran into opposition along the way. And he had a lot of people coming and accusing him of, of false things. And a few of those things landed him into jail two times. The first time, the first time, his, what's known as his first imprisonment was kind of a lightweight experience for him. He was more or less just on house arrest, uh, basically free to do what he wanted to do, provided he awaited his, his trial, which when it came, he was quickly released and acquitted. Uh, because, again, these accusations that were raised against him didn't have any substance. Well, he went out and started, start, uh, started starting churches again. He was opposed and put into prison a second time. But the second time he was put into prison, it was at the, at the moment when the ancient Roman emperor Nero was starting to meet, reach a fever pitch in his persecution against Christians. And so Christians were, being, were, were starting to be killed uh, pretty quickly and, and, and fast. In fact, uh, Cindy and I had the opportunity to go to the Roman Colosseum not too long ago, and our tour guide, who was showing us around, had no idea if, who was Christian, uh, that we were Christian, emphasized the point when we first walked in, talking about how as kind of a pregame show and halftime show, to put colloquial terms to it, in between the gladiator games, the, before that started, and in between the kind of like halftime, they would march out Christians to be killed by the wild animals and sometimes beheaded, all for the amusement of the crowds and the emperor. Well, what we know is Paul's dungeon cell was, was just a little way away, probably just a few blocks away from the Roman Colosseum, and he could almost certainly hear the roars of the crowds as Christians were being killed, and he just, he just knew his time was up. So that's, that's the context for this letter of 2 Timothy, and really the tone reflects that. It's kind of somber and, and urgent, as he writes to Timothy, asking him to come be with him before the end, as it is also very uplifting, actually, as he's confidently placing his hope in the Lord and, and eternal life in, in Jesus. One Bible scholar said, if you, if you really understand the context of this letter and, and you put it in its place as you read the words of 2 Timothy, it's hard not to get misty-eyed. We can only imagine what it must have been like for Timothy to read this letter for the first time 
as he's hearing about, as he's, as he's, as he's reading words of, the words of Paul just being poured out on paper of, of his love for him and his call into ministry. Uh, and what we have in this letter is Paul giving, the, giving a b- baton pass to Timothy. He's saying, here's the ministry, here's what I, how I want you to carry it on. And here in the meat of his letter, in, in the chapter 3, we have him impress upon this pastor of Timothy that he needs to continue in God's word. He needs to understand its importance and he needs to know how to get into it. And so uh, we're going to look at four reasons for why you and I need God's word. Number one, because it grounds you. Uh, you need God's word because it, it grounds you. Uh, Paul begins this section reminding Timothy of all the persecutions that he had faced. Okay, obviously he's writing this in prison, but he also reminds Timothy of these uh, sufferings that he had faced. Uh, all kinds of suffering, he says in verse 11, in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, how people had slandered him, how people had accused him falsely, had pe- how people had tried to kill him, how he eventually was imprisoned. And then he goes on to say this to Timothy in verse 12. In fact, everyone, Timothy, not just myself, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, dot, 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 he connects down in verse 15, continue in the scriptures, in the holy scriptures. What Paul is saying here to Timothy is really what Jesus said to all of his followers, and that is, Becoming a Christian does not mean your life is going to become easier or more comfortable. And and in many senses, the thought is as you become a Christian and as you live out the Christian faith, your life, if anything, is going to get a little bit more challenging, a little bit more difficult. And, you know, here in the West, we don't face the kinds of, of persecution that Paul and Timothy faced back then or the types of persecution that many Christians the world over are facing right now in terms of their lives being threatened, imprisonment, and the rest of it. Here in the West, here in the Silicon Valley, we tend to face things like social persecution. But even apart from being a Christian, in a general sense, life is just hard. There's just a need to be grounded in it. There's a lot of things coming at, coming at us, and, and life is hard. One of the quotes that really stuck with me from uh, 2023 that I came across was a was a uh, clinical psychologist who had had thousands and thousands of hours across from patients. He said, life is hard, and anybody telling you or suggesting otherwise is lying to you or worse. And I remember coming across that and thinking, that's encouraging. Thanks for that. But it's a really real thought. In fact, he went on to say, look, and if, if I'm telling you life is hard and you're going like, no, life isn't that hard. He's like, first of all, count your blessings. And second of all, gird yourself up because life will eventually be hard. It's just a fact of life. Life is hard. We need to be grounded. We need a source to be grounded. And for the Christian, God's word is a place for you to be grounded no matter what comes at you. Whether life's hard just in general or life's hard because you're trying your best to live out the faith, God's word will ground you. And how does it ground you? Well, there's many ways, of course. Some of those are by, through the promises that the Bible teaches and shares often the wonderful truths that we have hope in Christ, peace in him, no matter what comes at us. But part of the way it grounds us, that Paul is is almost emphasizing with Timothy, is it helps you stay on the path. When other other things in the culture or people around you are going to try to pull you, it'll, it'll ground you. What does that look like? 
Well, right now I'm reading this book called Forgive by the late Tim Keller. And he makes the point that our culture is essentially ill-equipped, if equipped at all, to both offer forgiveness and pursue justice. He talks about how doing these, these two important things, vitally important things, is hard to do simultaneously in our culture. We're ill-equipped as a society to both offer forgiveness and pursue justice. It's usually one or the other. So, for instance, right now, like in our society, a lot of people are demanding justice when, when we are hurt or we are wrong. I want justice. Uh, one of the things Tim Keller says and makes the point quite uh, fascinatingly in the text is, is saying, you know, often we, we cry out for justice, but it's just a facade or a masquerade for wanting vengeance. But we will, we will demand justice and at the at the cost of offering forgiveness. And, and when that happens, what we can easily do is just kind of, is kind of build up resentment and, and rage and, and anger. And, 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 at the, and, and the cost of it is at the expense of the person who perhaps needs forgiveness. Or will offer forgiveness or demand forgiveness at the cost of accountability and, and things being made right. And, and what the Bible teaches us is it's, it's always both. I mean, these are hard things to pursue. And frankly, if you try to pursue both justice and forgiveness simultaneously, you're probably going to run into some opposition. But the scriptures teach that we, we, need, we need both of these things. And, and so grounding ourselves and understanding some of these wonderful truths, as hard as they might be, are, are, are pivotal for us to, to be, remain grounded and keep the course even as things get hard in life. And we see a lot of things unraveling around us because forgiveness is not offered or justice is overly pursued and the rest of it. Just one example of how the scriptures, in, in, a, in a small way, can, can ground us. One of my favorite psalms is the first psalm, Psalm 1, that talks about, uh, I, we put it up on the screen here, uh, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way uh, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. So when the psalmist, King David, wrote these words, the law of the Lord, he was talking about all of God's scripture. He said, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season. I love that imagery of the tree. It makes me think of the sturdy oak that is rooted, it's grounded when it's sunshine and birds chirping and the rest of that. But it also remains rooted and grounded when the rains come and the sleet and the snow, the hail beat down against it. It remains strong, and it remains a blessing for others who happen by its way. The Word of God grounds us. Number two, we need it because it molds us. It, you need God's Word because it will mold you increasingly into the likeness of Christ. It will mold you. Verse 16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God's word is God-breathed. It's, it's his word for you, for me. Now, real quickly, this gives us a little insight into the, what, the, what theologians describe as the inspiration of Scripture. I used to think as a little guy, like how the Bible must have come to be, as you had people like Paul and all these prophets or whatever who wrote down God's word. They were a bit of like, you know, tape recorders. They went up on the mountain and were like, okay, God, what do you tell me to say? I'll write it down. 
But texts like these help us understand, no, that's not how it works. The scriptures are God-breathed, meaning God used the personality, the style of speech, the grammar choice of these people as they wrote it down to preserve his word, to protect his word, and to give us what he has for us. It's ultimately from him. It's, it's God-breathed. It's for yours and my molding, to mold us increasingly into Christ. Uh, specifically, he says, it's for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting and training us in righteousness. So, one, God's word is to teach us. That's to say it's to impart knowledge and uh, understanding to us, uh, specifically about who God is, specifically about our world, specifically about our nature. Okay, it teaches us. God's word also rebukes and corrects us. That's to say it straightens us, straightens us on the path when it might be tempting to be veered off away from good and and what's right, it, it straightens our path. It, it rebukes and corrects. God's word also trains us in righteousness. I think of that as, as a coach that instructs and, and disciplines us. In other words, God's word will push back on you. Does it push back on you? If it's never pushing back on you, it's not fulfilling its purpose. Think of it this way. If God's word is timeless truth, it's divine word. It's God's timeless truth for us. It will speak into every generation, every culture, and every individual, commending certain things as well as sharpening other things. Wouldn't you say? And so if it's never sharpening us, if it's never pushing back on us, something's off. Uh, listen to this quote. Only if your God can challenge you will you know that you worship the real God and not a figment of your imagination. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Hebrews 4 says it this way. The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to penetrate even the dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Does God's word ever push back on you? Does it ever challenge you? Does it ever challenge the way you think? Does it ever challenge the way you live? Does it ever challenge the way you, you prioritize? Does it ever challenge the way you make decisions? Is God's word teaching you? Uh, one of my favorite experiences from uh, my uh, college uh, Christian days was I was at this, I was in this um, fellowship where uh, everybody would ask the question, what is God teaching you lately? Like, what is God teaching you right now? And uh, you know, it's it such a great question, especially in that environment, because it always forced me to go, whoa, what is he teaching me? Like, I should, pro I should probably know. It had a, the question, what is God teaching you, has a built-in assumption that God is always teaching you, which is true, almost certainly. I mean, if we are being, the, you know, the, the flawed people that we are, God is almost certainly always teaching us. It, does God's word teach you? Is God teaching you through his word? What is he teaching you right now? Can you answer that? God's word will always be teaching us, always be helping mold us in these ways, trying to bring us increasingly into the likeness of Jesus. And if it's not pushing back on us, it's not doing what it is there to do, and we're not allowing for it. You need, God, you need God's word because it grounds you, it molds you, and then third, because it equips you, excuse me, it calls and equips you into greater things. Look at verse 16 and especially 17. All scriptures God breathed. And useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the, ser the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. That word thoroughly can also be translated completely. So God, so God has thoroughly or completely equipped us for every good work. Uh, and whenever the Bible talks about good works, it's always talking about eternal things. You know, I love how in the Silicon Valley we can understand, we understand well how to invest time, energy, resources for worldly gains. There's a lot of wonderful things happening in the area that we are. Many of you guys are getting to be a part of it. There's wonderful things that we can do in this lifetime, in this world. But the scriptures over and over again say, hey, if that's the only thing we're aiming for, we're aiming too low. God calls us into greater things. And what we're told is through God's word, he calls us and equips us to be about those things. So let me use an example. So for instance, one of the things the scriptures over and over calls Christ followers into is to share the gospel. Share, talk about Jesus, be a light in the world. But, you know, I, I imagine for a lot of us that's a daunting thing to do. To press the point, if I were to say something like, let's all commit by the end of this week to share the gospel with our coworker or with our neighbor or whatever, we'd all probably squirm a little bit in our seat, myself included. Why is that? Well, probably because of fear of social persecution, she talked about, but probably also out of fear of inadequacy, feeling like, we, I don't know how I do that. I'm not sure I'm equipped to do that. No, God thoroughly equips us for every good work, including the greatest work of telling about the love of God through Christ. If you were here last week when Nick was preaching out of 1 Peter, uh, he highlighted specifically uh, chapter 3, verse 15, which said, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ and do so with kindness and gentleness and respect, is what, what it says. That already addresses a few things. So if we have a fear of social perse persecution, chances are you're fearing that it's going to come across wrong. You know, it, it's saying do it with gentleness and respect. Don't find a little pulpit or a little soapbox to preach on. Do it with gentleness and respect. Can you do that? And then when it comes to our, fe our fear of feeling inadequacy, when it says always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have, that's not saying you better have a theological degree and give a sermon to your neighbor when they ask. It's saying be able and willing to share why it is you believe in Christ, why you have the eternal hope, why you believe the gospel. Can you share that? Can you, can you get into that? You, you, you and I are completely equipped for every good work. And, and I would just say, and this has been true of myself down the years, it's just often that we, we don't trust that. We don't lean into the Lord for that. But I have seen this side of being in ministry any length of time here at Curran and at other, in other ministry contexts. There have been a lot of people down the years who have said, oh, my goodness, I was so scared. I was so worried about sharing my faith with my coworker. But guess what, Pastor? It didn't go that bad. It wasn't that crazy. They didn't look at me weird. You know, I'm making it. And they were actually a little bit responsive. Or actually, And you've seen people come to God equips you for every good work, calls you and equips you for it. And one of the ways that that can happen is through sharing love, love of God through Christ, which the scriptures say over and over again. There's any number of ways that it calls you into eternal things. Real quickly, we talked about forgiveness earlier. There's a lot of you, knowing the size of this room, there's, there's certainly a lot of you probably struggling with this idea of forgiveness. It's a really hard thing. And guess what? You follow a God or you're looking at a God who knows a thing or two about the heaviness of offering forgiveness equips and calls you to do that and is, and is there with you as you go about it. God's word grounds you, molds you, calls and equips you, and then it also centers you 
on what matters most. Look at verses 14 and especially 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from your infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And here he says this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You've known from infancy the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Think about how remarkable a statement this is for Paul to say to Timothy. Paul is saying to Timothy, remember, continue in the Scriptures so that it will make you wise for the salvation of faith through Christ. You know what I'm saying? He's talking to a pastor who for a living is in the Word all the time, you would think, and who's been in the Word since his infancy. And he's saying to him, make sure you go into the Word so you understand and get wisdom of salvation to faith in Christ. You would think Timothy, being a Christian pastor, would understand how salvation works and be wise unto it, right? But that's the point. Paul is saying, even somebody who's been following Christ for a long time, even somebody who's a pastor teaching it constantly, needs to be centered and recentered on the gospel, on the grace of Christ. Uh, what does that mean? What, is, what does that look like? You and I, we never graduate from the gospel. There is never a point where we go, okay, I believe in Jesus, what he did on the cross for my sins. I received that grace. I'm brought into an eternal relationship with God. Now I'm going to move on to upgrade my Christianity, become a better person, do better, think better. No. The way that we grow and mature in our faith is through understanding more fully and deeper and deeper how the gospel ministers to our hearts, how far we missed the mark and how far the Lord's Love meets us there. And that's all over the scriptures. Jesus said, the scriptures are all about me. Specifically him and what he did on the cross for us. All the scriptures and its major themes and characters all point to Christ. When we read the scriptures, we can, we can know that it will center us on the grace of Christ. Um, by way of an example, uh, this last week I happened to have a, the privilege of sitting with uh, one of our staff members and looking at the classic ancient story of David and Goliath. You guys know the story? How the people, the, the soldier, the army of the Israelites were lined up against uh, uh, the opposing Philistines. And the giant Goliath was there out in the middle of the field just calling down blasphemous things upon uh, the people of God. And nobody was willing to go out and have a battle of the champions out there in the middle of the field. But David, this little shepherd boy, happened to go and bring some food to his brothers who were soldiers in the army. And he saw nobody, everybody was too scared to go out there, including King Saul, who was the strongest fighter for the Israelites. He said, how can nobody go out there? Like, are you serious? This guy's out there bringing down blasphemy on God's people and on God's like, anybody who goes out there, God's going to help defeat this guy. Send me. And eventually, David, this young shepherd boy, is sent out there, not with Saul's armor, but with a little slingshot. You guys know the story. And God helps him overcome Goliath, and, and the rest is, is history. You know, we're reading this story, the staff member and I, and a, a cursory reading would, would lead you to see some of the lessons that ground you, that inspire you, that mold you, that, that help you in all these ways, call and equip you. In that, you know, say, for instance, you read that story, and you go, okay, we all face giants in life. And if we trust and we lean on God, he will, he will be with us. He will aid us in the giants that we face. Okay, fair enough, cursory interpretation of that text, application. But guess what? It wasn't until going a step further that that story 
began to really melt into my heart. Because if you just stay it there, you have an inspirational story to be like David. Great, wonderful. Call to action, yes. But then if you do a little bit further to see the grace of Christ there, you see that that story is ultimately not about David saving a people then and there, but ultimately a, a foretaste of the true and greater David who would not take a slingshot to deliver his people from the giant Goliath, but lay down his arms, go to the cross, deliver his people from the greatest giants, that is sin and death, so that we can have faith in him and be received into eternal life with him. And it's like when you see that and you understand that this story of David is just the faintest whisper of a picture of who who Jesus is and what he came to do for us, and you let that begin to melt into your heart, you go, okay, maybe I can face some of these giants that I'm facing right now. The scriptures of God always point to his grace. They always center us on the fact that God loves us in spite of us and will give us the grace that we need, whatever we're facing. So the scriptures ground you, they mold you, they call equip you, they center you. You need God's word. But how do you get into it? There's many things we can say. This text gives us a few. We're going to share a few and then, and then we'll close. Number one, be persistent. Verse 14 says, continue in what you've heard. And in verse 15, he links that thought in the Holy Scriptures. Paul was telling Timothy, a longtime pastor, somebody who'd been in the Scriptures since his infancy, you need to continue in it. <laughs> and if Timothy needed to continue in it, you and I need to continue in it. Um, I remember at my, uh, a previous pastorate, there was, a, uh, there was a gentleman there who was, the ca- who was a captain in the Army, captain in the U.S. Army. And he was the kind of guy when you, you know, you came across him. He was very down to earth, very humble. But you could tell this guy was, this guy was somebody who could give orders and people would listen. You know what I mean? Like he kind of held himself with authority. But I, and that's why it was fun to see him in the church setting, by the way, because he's just serving people, even though he's, you know, held a lot of this power to him. But I remember he was giving this little talk to a small group of us. And he said at one point, he's, he was talking about the importance of the scripture in his life. And he said, Every day before I go into work to receive and give out orders, I first go, I find some time, I get some coffee, I find a little space myself, and I get into God's word and receive my marching orders from the commander-in-chief, he said as he pointed up. He said, and I got to get my, I got to start my day with getting my marching orders from him. And then after that, then I can go out and try to navigate everything because it's challenging. But when I do that, he said over, over years, he found it just grounds him. He's just able to go and he's, and on the days that he's unable to, because he's, you know, traveling or whatever it might be, he's just like, man, I just, I feel off. But on the days where, even when it's hard, if I've done that, it's just, it has a way of, of helping me through. He's like, but I, every day I got to do that. Look, we don't follow a legalistic God. There is no Bible verse that says you need to read the Bible every day and it needs to be in the morning before the sun comes up. It doesn't say that. It gives us principles like continue in it. Or you are blessed if you meditate on it day and night. How are you going to be able to meditate on it day and night if you're not in it regularly? Now, one of the things you can do, which is also scriptural, is be here on Sundays because this is a time where we get into God's word corporately. It's a little bit more prepared and all that sort of thing, hopefully helpful in, in that sense. But, but also throughout the week, can you, be, can you get into it regularly? Can you continue in the Holy Scriptures? What would that mean for you? Might you be able to do, might, might you be able to do it every day for 15, 20 minutes and then pray? Could you do that? Could you, could you shoot for seven and hit five? You know what I mean? 
Maybe the morning works great for you. Maybe the evenings work great for you. Maybe you can find lunchtime to do it. Uh, for me, it's kind of funny. You know, pre-kids, I was morning. I would read the scriptures and pray. Uh, after kids, I'm, I'm, I've become night. It's funny. I, you know, I think intuitive you think it the other way around. But that's just what's worked for me. You know, and I, I have a way of doing it so I'm not falling asleep. As I, you know what I mean? Like, what would work for you? 15, 20 minutes. If you've never done it before, reading the scriptures and praying. And I would just say this, and this is not going to be on the screen. Maybe I should have put it on the screen. Not even on my notes. Here's the two th- questions I would have you ask when you go to any scripture. And I'll talk about what that could look like here in a minute. But when you get to any scripture, ask these two questions. What does it teach me about God? And how do I respond? What does the scripture teach me about God? All of what we talked about is going to be encompassed in these two questions. And how do I respond? In other words, if it's God's word, what is he calling by way of response through it? You need to continue into it. Find what works for you in terms of rhythm. And then number two, try to read the whole counsel of God. That's how Bible scholars talk about it, the whole counsel of God. Because remember, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. Paul did not write, just the Scripture that you like is God-breathed. I was re- re- reading a uh, book. I, j- I recently reread a book that uh, had a profound impact on my life. It's called Disciple by Juan Carlos Ortiz, a pastor out of Ar- Argentina, wrote it. But he, he was convicted at one point because he realized he read, he read his Bible and he had a real habit of highlighting. And he at one point realized that he was just highlighting the stuff he liked. And so he, he felt so convicted by it, he went back and focused on the stuff he hadn't highlighted. He's like, oh, boy, it was hard but good. Read the whole scripture. And I would just say, if you're here and you've never got into the habit or rhythm of reading the scripture, start in the gospel. It's an easy thing to do. One of the gospels are biographical accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read one chapter, pray, and call it a day. For those of you who are up for it, I'd encourage, and then after you've done that, you can start to get into the Old Testament or the epistles. We could talk about that. And if we could be a resource to you in any of this, email us, talk to us, okay? For those of you who are up for it, I'd encourage you to consider reading a read through the Bible in a year plan. Uh, I, I don't recommend finding one that's cover to cover. There's these read through, free, read through the Bible. Don't pay for anything. That's my two cents. Um, it's God's word. Ah, anyway, sorry, pet peeve. Sorry. Find a free, read through the Bible in a year plan, uh, and stick to it as best you can. Um, I used to, like, I used to read from cover to cover, so Genesis to Revelation. I don't encourage you to do that because there's certain books where if that's all you're doing for, like, a few weeks, you're going to get bogged down. I did. I do. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of people, that's the book of Leviticus because there's a lot of old rules that actually don't apply this side of, this side of Christ and his sacrifice and all, and all the rest of it. And that's, that's fine. I always used to get bogged down in the book of Judges because it's so depressing in a good way because it helps us understand the human condition. But what I'm saying is I use a read through the Bible plan called the Max Shane. It's spelled a little interesting. It's M apostrophe C-H-E-Y-N-E. I'm saying that in case you want to look into it. Um, but it, it kind of breaks the Bible, uh, chunks of the Bible into a year planned, kind of hitting upon different things. So on a certain night, you'll read, you know, one Old Testament chapter, one New Testament chapter, a psalm, you, that, that kind of thought. And so that's worked really well for me. The McShane uh, plan goes through uh, the New Testament and Psalms twice, and the Old Testament once. So here's the thing. You don't have to get through it in a year. There's nothing that says here you find a read through the Bible plan. You know what I'm saying? We don't follow a legalistic God, so make Find a rhythm to continue in God's word. 
If you get through a read through the Bible and a year plan in two years, that's awesome. If your deal is listening to the scripture, which by the way, most of history, people were doing it that way, that's awesome. The point is find a find, try to find a principle that helps you continue in the Holy Scriptures. And, and I, that's my commitment to you as, as we on Sundays try to look at the whole counsel of God. The reason why I'm excited to get into the Gospel of John in, in two weeks' time is because we've been in the Old Testament a little bit. We've been in the epistles, which is a different part of the New Testament. I'm looking forward to getting back to look specifically at the life and ministry of Jesus. So it's like, okay. But find a way to, one, uh, persist in it and look at the whole counsel of God. And then number three, be sure that you're sitting under the Scripture. Uh, I've already s- talked about this, so I'll just move on here. But make sure that, that the Scripture is probing you. It's challenging you. It's encouraging, exhorting you onward. Because if it's not pushing back on us, if it's not teaching, rebuking, correcting us, training us, we're missing out. And then number four, let it call you to action. James, in his letter to the early church, said it this way. Let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And then again, in our text, God has given you his word and spirit to thoroughly equip you for every good work. Let it call you to action. And then finally, make sure that you're looking for the grace in Christ. There's this, there's this ministry discipline called spiritual direction. It's really wonderful. It's just a kind of a, a way for kind of like counselors to help Christians think about their life. And, and it's not counseling in the sense of like, oh, here are your problems and let me try to help you fix those. It's just asking, well, how do you see God in that? How do you see, what is he, what is he doing in, in the midst of that? And one of the questions a spiritual director will often ask or a pastor will ask is, if you see God working in these different ways in your life, what is the grace that you need? What grace do you need? Because God is in the business of giving you his grace. He's never going to call you into something you cannot do. It's always going to be for your good. And he's going to give you the grace to do it. And that grace is almost certainly going to be linked to understanding just a little bit more deeply how much God loves you through Christ. And the scripture sing of Christ and what he's done for us. At the top, I said we're going to start a new series in the Gospel of John in two weeks. You know how the Gospel of John begins? Referring to Jesus, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it goes on to say, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There are many things we can kind of pull out from that incredible statement that Jesus is literally the Word. It means that when we go to God's Word, it doesn't just ground us, help us through hard times. It doesn't just mold us into becoming better people, all of which are wonderful principles, call us into greater things. Its chief aim is to help us know who God is and how much he loves us. The chief aim is to help us go deeper in relationship with him. It's, it's not just words on a paper. It's, it's literally the word. This is how God reveals himself to us. And so as we turn this year and we look at the year ahead and really the years to come, how might you get into God's word? How might you understand the importance of it? Let it probe you, challenge you, encourage, equip you, give you the grace. What would that look like for you? Even starting this week, you can make some changes. You could think about some rhythms. But my prayer is that we would be a people of the word. Let's pray.
Father, we're so thankful for this word that we could take so easily for granted. People who have it so easily accessible to us. These, just, these aren't just words on, a, on paper. These are God-breathed revelations to help us know a little bit more about who you are and how much you love us and how much you call us to be a part of your eternal things. And Father, thank you for as much as we tend to disregard that or miss the mark, your grace, your grace meets us all the more. Father, would you help us be a people of your word? For those who are maybe entering into reading your word for the first time or developing into a, a rhythm or practice for the first time, I pray that you especially meet them. But please help us be people of your word so that we can make your word your son, known to those you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.